0: I want to talk with you this morning out of Exodus 33. So if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, uh, turn to Exodus 33. Give you a little background on what's going on in Exodus 33 and the chapters preceding that. Moses has brought the people out of Egypt and he's, he's headed towards the Promised Land. Uh, they were slaves in Egypt. Now they're going to have a land of their own, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they're headed for the promised land. And along the way, uh, before they get into the promised land, before they cross over the Jordan, uh, Moses heads up Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord and receive the Ten Commandments. And right, bef- right as he's up there meeting with the Lord, uh, the people, in the midst of Moses meeting with the Lord, the people have uh, been down below and they've gotten into some sin they've gotten into some idolatry and they've asked Aaron who was kind of Moses' right hand man they said hey will you make us a golden calf to worship we don't know about this God we don't know about this Moses guy we don't know what's happened to him he's been gone 40 days we need something to worship and so Aaron uh submits to their request and begins to make a golden calf for them to worship and so they get this golden calf and they begin to worship it. And as God is meeting with Moses up on Mount Sinai, he kind of interrupts things and he goes, Hey, there is the noise of war in camp. Your people have fallen into sin. Your people have fallen into idolatry. You need to go down and take care of them. And so Moses is angry, God's angry. And so that's where we find ourselves leading up to to chapter 33. God's judgment has came. uh, People have died. Um, There's been a lot of bad things that have taken place. And God's anger is still kind of boiling uh, at the people. But here's where we find Moses uh, in chapter 33, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here. And the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob saying to your offspring, I will give it and I will send an angel before you. Now, for me, that would be an amazing thing if God were to say, hey, I'm going to send an angel. Right. I mean, I mean, think about this. If you've got a tough meeting, if you've got a a big Monday coming up and God says, hey, I'm going to send an angel before you. That's that's amazing. That would be good news to me. Because I understand what an angel looks like. It's not what our culture portrays as like Cupid, you know, with the pampers on and shooting a little bow and arrow, right? I mean, angels in the Bible are these massive, uh, manly creatures. They're huge. They're ferocious, and they're usually carrying some kind of weapon, a sword or something. Like they're frightening. No one ever in scripture got before an angel and, and was just finally like, like, hey, can I touch your wings? Like, no, they were ferocious creatures. Like people, they were, they were fearful of these creatures. And so I, when I read this, I'm going, hey, that's great. God's sending an angel before him. But we find real quickly that Moses wasn't satisfied with that. That that wasn't good news for him. Let's keep going. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. They mourned. They weren't satisfied with an angel going before them. They were like, God, we need you. They recognized that there was a brokenness in their relationship with God at this point. That they had offended a mighty and a holy God and that something was wrong. And an angel wasn't going to cut it. They needed the Lord. But I love what Moses does here because in the next few verses, Moses does something that's really kind of countercultural. He goes to the Lord. He approaches the Lord. Let's see in verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp far off from the camp and he called it the tent of meeting and everyone who sought the lord would go out to the tent of meeting which was outside the camp and whenever moses went out to the tent all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch moses until he had gone into the tent when moses entered the tent the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the lord would speak with moses And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now I think this is an interesting deal because Moses didn't just happen to go by the tent. No, he was aiming for the tent. Like he's going for the tent. And and, and the tent was a sacred place. It was a holy place. Like Moses knew and the people knew, that's where you meet with God. That's where you hear from God. If you want to be in God's presence, that's where you go. And this is a far cry from where Moses was in Exodus 3, just thirty chapters earlier. You remember the story with the burning bush? When Moses had first encountered God, and he and he sees this bush and he's like, What is this bush? What is this, this thing? It was, he was curious to him. And so he went up to it and God began to speak to him from this burning bush. And it said that Moses hid his face. Now God wasn't angry at the burning bush. He's just revealing himself. But Moses hid his face. But here, 30 chapters later, Moses understands God's anger is burning at the people. God's upset. And yet Moses goes in. Moses enters into God's presence. Now what was the difference between the Moses we see in chapter 3 and the Moses we see in chapter 33? The difference is this. Is that Moses understood the grace of God. Moses understood the grace of God. He understood the character of God in a new way. In a deeper way. The fact that he could enter in like I remember when I was growing up and I'll be the first to admit I wasn't the best kid right I was I was the kid that like led my school and spankings and going to the principal I was that kind of kid Um, but I remember coming home some days and my mom would kind of meet me in the kitchen at the back door and say hey uh, be quiet your dad's had a rough day okay Uh, Your dad may be a little angry, so don't go in there and stir him up. Now, I was smart enough that I didn't like go jump on his lap and, you know, give him a noogie and, you know, mess with him and ask him 20 questions. I didn't do that, right? I either went back outside and went to play with my friends or I went back to my room and kind of tippy toed around and just kind of stayed clear, right? I I knew not to to poke the angry bear, right? I I didn't want to mess with him. I didn't want to feel his wrath, and so I stayed away from him. I'd hide under tables, do whatever I had to do, but I wasn't going into his presence. But here Moses enters into the presence. Even though God is angry, God is upset, God's wrath has just been poured out. Moses enters in, but it's because he understands the grace of God. He understands the grace of God. It's like this, one of my favorite verses it says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Hebrews 4.16. And that's exactly what Moses did. He enters in. He drew near to the throne of grace with confidence. He knew where he was going. He knew he was going to meet with the Lord. He enters in. And I think that's where a lot of us, we miss this idea of the grace of God. We understand a lot about God, but it's so so often so many people attend church for years and years and years and years and don't understand the grace of God that God is a loving God and that he's angry because he's jealous over our hearts and our affections you see um there's a story in the new testament that illustrates this the story of the prodigal son you remember that story where there was a a, a man who had two sons and the and the young one said hey I I want my inheritance. I'm tired of your rules. I'm tired of living under your house, your your authority. Dad, give me my inheritance. And his dad gives him his inheritance. And the Bible says that he went away to a foreign land and squandered all the money with reckless living. Just wasted it. And when his money and his friends had run out, he found himself feeding the pigs. And it said that he began to desire what the pigs were eating. Like looking at it going, man, I'd like to eat that. Now, I haven't been around pigs very much, but that doesn't sound very appetizing, right? And it says in, the, in, a, in that moment, he realized, he goes, hey, my father's hired servants, my, my father's slaves eat better than this. That's what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and I'll say, dad, give me a job. I'm not worthy to be under your roof. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me just be a hired servant. And so he heads back to meet his dad. He's probably thinking about how he's going to say it or how he's going to present it or how this whole thing's going to go down. And he gets to the point where he sees his house, his father's house in the distance. And all of a sudden his dad hops off the porch and begins to run at him. And if it was me, I'd be looking like for a knife in his hand or something, a little worried, right? But but he, he says his father runs at him and it's almost like he can see a smile on his face. And then his dad gets there and he embraces him and he hugs him. He's like, my son who was lost is now is found. And he puts a robe on his back and puts a ring on his finger and yells to the people. who says, let's kill the fatted calf. Let's have a celebration. Let's have a feast. My son is home. And we always talk about that's the prodigal son, but really that's the prodigal father. Because prodigal means generous or abundant. And it's the Father who is generous and abundant with His love and His grace and His mercy. And that picture is such a great indication of who our God is. He is a gracious God. Romans 2.4 says that it is, it is His kindness that leads us to Repentance. But when we don't understand the grace of God like Moses understood the grace of God, we have this this tendency, this dangerous tendency to when we slip into sin, when you slip into temptation, when you start feeling shame or buying into the devil's lies, that you run away from God rather than run to God. And that just proves that we don't understand the grace of God. That God is that prodigal father that's jumping off the porch, that's running at you with open arms. He's jealous for you. He's jealous for your affections. It's the grace of God that allowed Moses to enter in the tent of meeting, to go before the Lord in spite of all that had just taken place. Moses doesn't just enter in the tent and get in God's presence. He's even as bold to ask for something. Look in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, "'See, you say to me, bring up this people, "'but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. "'Yet you have said, I know you by name, "'and you have found favor in my sight. "'Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, "'please show me now your ways, "'that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. "'Consider, too, this nation is your people.' "'And the Lord said to him, "'My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest.' Moses is going, hey, let me me try to persuade you. Let me try to persuade you into this. Like, have I not found favor in your sight? Just go with us. If I found favor, go with us. What about these people? These people bear your name. Everybody in this area knows these people are, are Yahweh's people. They bear your name. They're your people. May that persuade you to go with us. And God answers and says, yes, I'll go with you. But that's not enough. Moses continues to push, continues to request of God. Verse 15, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. What Moses is saying here is he's saying, hey, I'm not moving another step until I know you're here with me. I'm not moving from this place right here. I've got to know that you're with me. And I love this about Moses because didn't God just say, hey, I'll go with you. I'll go with, you, you've got the promised land. You're still going. That was the goal way back when, when I brought you out of Egypt, to go to the promised land. And Moses like, that's not enough. Because Moses understood something that is so profound and true. The promised land was not the goal. God is the goal. Do you hear that? The promised land was not the goal for Moses. God was the goal. So I wonder what it is in your life today that you're going, hey, I want this. I want this thing. And maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's making more money. Maybe it's retirement. Whatever it is. Maybe you're making decisions today. Whatever it is, is God the goal that you just want more of Jesus Christ? Is that what you're longing for? Or is it something else? You know, it's it's interesting how much we talk about heaven, and heaven's going to be an unreal place. It is. I mean, you read about it in Revelation, and Paul talks about the visions that he's had of heaven, and it's going to be amazing. And as I read the, the, the words, the lyrics on the screen of these songs that we sing about heaven, no more pain, no more tears, Like I long for that place. And my mind goes to Japan and the suffering that is taking place there. And I go, when when I get home, when I get home to heaven, there'll be no more of that. No more tears, no more death, no more crying. Reunited with loved ones. It's going to be an amazing place. But once again, heaven is not the goal. Jesus Christ is the goal. Because when we make heaven our goal, we make heaven an idol. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ is the only thing that you can put on the throne of your heart and go, that's the goal. It's not heaven, it's not a new job, it's not a fatter paycheck, it's nothing, it's Jesus. So maybe that's what we need to begin to ask ourselves is Jesus Christ really our goal? Because here Moses got that. He's going, hey, I'm not moving another step without you. Even though God had already said, you got the promised land. Moses wanted the Lord. He wanted the Lord. I'm not moving another step unless you go with me. Is that like our natural thing that we say to the Lord every day? God, I don't want to face tomorrow, Monday. Monday. I don't want to face Monday without you. I don't want to face this meeting. I don't want to face a conversation with my wife or my kids or this person or that person without you. The Lord's been really pressing on me um, about just getting up early in the morning and just meeting with him, which is a little difficult. I have three kids, one on the way. So it's a little crazy at my house, as you can probably imagine. And, uh, and, and it's really crazy because my oldest son, and I don't know why, we haven't figured this out, but he likes to get up at about 5.30 in the morning every once in a while and just eat butter. <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> I, I really don't know how to how even explain that. But I, I, I had a meeting early one morning, and I went downstairs at 6. I just got in my shower and kind of headed out. And he's sitting there in his drawers eating some butter. And I was like, I'll let your mother deal with you on that. <laughs> But anyways, um, the Lord's been really impressing upon me <clears throat> just to get up early in the morning and meet with Him, and uh, and so I, I've tried to do that, and I, and I love the mornings because it's quiet, nobody's calling my phone, uh, it, it's just it's just a quiet time, and I, I love meeting with the Lord in the mornings. But some some mornings I get a little lazy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And on Saturday mornings, uh, it's my day off, and so sometimes I I want to sleep in. Right, and 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 so I didn't really communicate that with my wife very well, and that never goes well if you don't communicate with your wife, right? Um, that just never goes well for you, husbands. Um, and and, and so we're kind of playing that game where who's going to wake up first, right? And I hear the kids downstairs, and I'm hoping I've got this fantasy going on in my mind: that my oldest son, the butter eater, and I don't know where I got this from, but maybe he's downstairs uh, with the other kids. You know, he's already made him breakfast. He's reading him a story <laughs> or something. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I hear screaming take place. And I'm like, great, someone's got a knife or something, you know. And so I head downstairs to see what's going on. And, and, uh, and I didn't put on shoes or socks or anything. And I head downstairs and I turn the corner and I see what's going on in the living room. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward ahead. And all of a sudden I just begin to step on broken pieces of a light bulb that have been just shattered all over our floor. And as I'm, I'm walking, getting closer to them, at first I kind of had a look of, of curiosity on my face, like what's going on, who's hurt, I'm concerned. Now I'm looking, I have the look of on my face of going, someone's going to be consumed, right? <laughs> I, I, I've got the Lord's anger going on. Like I don't have the spirit of, of, of uh, love in my heart towards my kids at this point. Like somebody's gonna get a spanking, all right? And so I go down there, and as, I'm, as, as I get everything set, and I'm picking the shards of glass out of my feet and cleaning up the floor before my wife gets up. I'm starting to think, and the Lord's like, gently, ever so gently reminds me, you thought you could do this on your own again, didn't you? You thought you could just wake up and do life at the house, because life at the house, it's, it's common, it's natural, it's just easy. You thought you could do this on your own. You're not desperate for me. You don't have like Moses where you're going, hey, I'm not taking another step unless you go before me. Like that should literally be the first thing we do that we roll out of bed in the morning and go straight to our prayer closet, straight to our knees and go, God, I need you today. I need you before I have a conversation with my wife, my husband, my children, before I have that meeting, before I hit the road and travel, before I eat. I need you today. Is that you? Are you desperate for the Lord in that manner? And maybe it's just because we've gotten so just accustomed to life as is. We do the same things every day, and this is the way we've done it for years, and we're really not going to change. And so it's gotten easy. We've gotten comfortable with it. Like we can manage this. But the problem is the Bible The problem with that is the Bible, because God has called every one of us on mission with him. And maybe not foreign missions, but maybe local missions. But regardless, he's called you to live missionally in your community right here, right now. And the truth of the matter is, if you're going to live missional and share the gospel with your neighbors, share the gospel with the people that cut your hair or do your hair, or the people that you see at the supermarket or whatever you do in life, You're going to need God because that is something that you need a supernatural help for. And so maybe we've gotten so accustomed to just doing life as we do it that we're like, "Ah, I'm not really desperate for God. I can manage this. Like, is there anything in your life right now? Is there anything in your life, any area, anything that you're trying to accomplish That if God doesn't show up and move and flex his muscles and show his might, you are going to utterly fail. Is there anything? Because the truth of the matter, we're all called to live that kind of life. Because we're doing missional work. We're serving the Lord. We're doing things that we just can't do. I was talking with some of your um, high school girls last night at their group. They were talking about sharing the gospel with this friend and she's like, I don't know what to say. She, <clears throat> she wanted the silver bullet answer, right? She wanted, what's that one thing I can say that'll just change this girl's mind at school and all of a sudden she'll get the gospel. What is that one thing? And she was asking Joe and she was asking me and we're sitting there and other people are giving their wisdom, their insight, and I just remembered Second Corinthians 4 where it talks about the God of this world has blinded the, the eyes of unbelievers, the minds of unbelievers. And I told the girl, and this may have ruined her night, I was like, there's nothing you can say. Because it's not about you. You're not going to convince her. This is a supernatural deal. She needs a miracle. She needs Almighty God to just take away the blinders and to reveal truth. And it's not just that girl, but it's every person in the world needs that. I needed that. You needed that. So what are you doing in your life right now that you're going, God, if you don't show up today, if you don't move, I'm going to fail. And are you like Moses where you're going, hey, I'm not moving another step unless you go before me. Are we that desperate for God? Let's keep going. Verse 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I in your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct from every other people on the face of the earth? Guys, we are a distinct people because we have the spirit of the living God living inside of us. That makes us more distinct than any other religion on the face of the earth. Not just that we follow the true God, but that we have the spirit of the living God living inside us. Isaiah 7, 14 calls him Emmanuel, God with us. That's amazing. Let's keep going. Verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And then in verse 18, Moses gives this legendary quote. He says, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. And what Moses is saying here is he's going, God, prove to me your presence. Prove to me your presence. Show me your glory. If you're really going before me, show me your presence. Prove to me that you're going with me. That's what I need. Moses isn't hard of hearing here. I mean, God's told him twice now, hey, I'm going with you. I'm going to go with you. Okay, I'll go with you and take you to the promised land. It's not that Moses doesn't get it. It's that Moses is going, hey, prove to me your presence. Prove to me that you're really going, because I can't do this. These people are rebellious. They're idolatrous. I'm not that good of a leader. I stutter when I talk. I don't know what's ahead. I don't know what the Canaanites and the Perizzites and all these, I don't know who they are. I don't don't know what they're like. I don't know what's ahead of us. We need you. Prove to me that you're going before us because I'm not taking another step. And God finally does it. He finally goes, okay, I'll prove to you. Let me show you. And in this amazing passage, God reveals himself once more. Verse 19, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen." This is an amazing text. It's an amazing passage where Moses actually gets to see God. And that's pretty cool. And we read about this and we hold this text up. and We're like, look, God revealed himself. God showed himself. Moses got to see that as the representative of the people of Israel. He got to see God. And that's an amazing text. But here's the truth of it. Is that you and I here today in 2011, have got to experience God in a, in a more full and more fresh way than Moses did. In Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, the scriptures tell us that he is the glory of God. And we've got to experience that and see that, see the glory of God in its fullness. I want to show you a couple passages. John 1.14 says this. And the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father. Talking about Jesus. This is the gospel that God sent Jesus Christ down to earth to walk the earth, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins so that we might have access to God. It's the gospel. And then once again in Hebrews 1. 2 and 3, He is the radiance. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus is the glory of God. He is. Now you may be saying, Blake, I don't know uh, how your time with the Lord's happened down in Texas, uh, but here in Virginia we don't really have Jesus kind of walk through the kitchen when I'm in there reading my Bible each morning. And and I've never seen the Lord visually. I've I've never seen Jesus. But this is not so much about the visual as it is about the presence. Do you catch the weight of that? It's not so much about the visual as it is about the presence. Like you think about them back in this day. They had a tent. They had a tent of meeting where they went and met with the Lord. Right, And and so in the Old Testament, they would have to go to the tent, or they would have to go to the tabernacle, or they would have to go to the temple. You and I don't have to do that because of what Jesus Christ has done. You can go to your house, and I can go to my house, and you can come to this church, and they go to another church. We have the spirit of the living God inside us and through us. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us, just like he was prophesied. It's why Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, he's like, hey, I'm leaving. Like, I'm going home, to, I'm going back to be with the Father. And he's like, don't be troubled, though, because something better than me is coming. And you're going, what could be better than Jesus? Like, we talked about an angel, how cool that would be if an angel walked before you. But what could be better than Jesus right here by your side? His Spirit. His Spirit that lives inside of you and guides your decisions and guides your actions and speaks to you on everything That's what could be better. Because I can go back to Texas and talk with him. And you can stay here in Virginia and you can go to your home and you can go to work here tomorrow. Like that was one of the coolest things. And and maybe it's just because I'm a little slow. But the first time I ever went overseas, the first time I ever went overseas, I went to Africa. And I remember getting up early that morning and reading through the scriptures and hearing the Lord speak to me from his scriptures. And maybe, maybe it's because I'm a little slow, but I was like, oh my gosh, God lives in Africa too. But I remember being shocked by that going, oh wow, he's here too. And it's not that he's here, he's here. He's here inside me. So it's not so much about the visual as it is about the presence. And maybe we've gotten off and we just take that for granted that God's presence is with us wherever we go. And, that, and that's true, but are you at the point where you're like, God, I need to feel you. Prove to me your presence. Show up in my life. Reveal yourself to me. Have we just become so accustomed to just kind of doing life? I'm in my routine. I just kind of do this thing. I mean, this is Monday for me. I just kind of get through it. Are you desperate for his presence? Moses was desperate for him. Moses is like, I'm not moving another step. Prove to me your presence. Are you desperate for him? So I have a few just diagnostic questions to ask you and, and then I'm done. But I want you to chew on these things. I want you to think on these things. And maybe you can write them down and take them to lunch with you today. Talk them over with your spouse. What does this mean? What does it look like to really be desperate? There's Four questions. The first one is this, are you prone to move forward without him? That business decision that you've got coming up, that family decision, whatever's going on, that financial decision, are you prone to just move forward without him, just to do without him? If you don't hear from him, it's okay. I'm just going to move forward. Second is this, have you become so self-sufficient that his presence is a luxury Rather than a necessity. Have you become so self-sufficient. That his presence is a luxury. Rather than a necessity. That honestly. And if we were to be honest. And I know at church we can't always be honest. Because we have to put ourselves up here. But if we could be honest. You're like I really don't care if God shows himself up. Shows. Reveals himself in my life today. Either way. If he does, great. It's an added bonus. But if not, I'll be fine. Third is this. Would you rather have more of him or more of his stuff? Would you rather have more of him or more of his stuff? You see, Moses chose the Lord. God was his goal. Not the promised land. Not all this stuff. God. God was the goal. The fourth thing is this, does the thought of a day or a moment without him grieve your spirit? Like does the thought that you would lay your head down tonight and really not hear from him, not feel him, does that grieve your spirit or are we just satisfied with that? Are we satisfied enough with just a good day? Are we desperate for the Lord? Man, I hope and pray that you guys would individually make that decision and go, I want to be desperate for the Lord. Maybe it's an understanding of where you are and just going, I really am desperate for the Lord. I mean, Acts 17 says that we we need him for every life, for our life and our very breath. And so maybe it's just a, a realization of going, yeah, I'm desperate for him. But how does that play itself out in your life? What are you doing right now that you're going, man, I need the Lord? If the Lord doesn't show up, I'm going to fail. Because I tell you what's going to happen when you begin to live a life like that that you go, hey, I'm desperate for the Lord. We need the Lord. And you're so dependent upon the Lord. You're going to see his grace and you're going to see his glory. Because it's a pride thing. It's, it's the pride in your heart to go, I've, I've got this. I can handle this. I can do this. But when you submit to the Lord and you go, I can't do this. I can't do this next day. I can't do this meeting. I need you. The Lord's going to begin to bless you and show you His grace and show you His glory. And these walls won't be able to fill how many people will be in here. Because when His presence is in your life, and it's manifested in your life, people will be attracted to that. People will be curious about that. And it'll just be another avenue for you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share life with people. So I pray, I pray that you would just go, God, I'm desperate for you.